Hello, this is Lowell Thompson with Learning with Lowell, a podcast that covers healthcare, biotech, anything science-related, really, or anything that really fascinates me. I'm open to input on that. Any suggestions or advice, send them my way. Go to learningwithlowell.com and subscribe today. Today we have part one with Leo Nunez. We'll be looking at his views on transcendentalism, uh, business, his first failings, his backgrounds, his life in Chile. It's an interesting podcast. I hope you guys enjoy it. And remember to stay tuned at the end of the episode and to keep an eye out for part two where we get more into the nitty-gritty of his new business that will be coming out this year. Thank you. What was the thing that first got you into this industry? Like, what was the thing that gravitated you that, like, kind of made you think, hey, I could be successful in this? Uh, thank you for calling me successful, by the way. But uh, what first drove me at least into the biotech industry was uh, ever since I was a teenager, I've been like really nerdy and really inquisitive about uh, reading and researching a little bit about everything. So I've always been driven by this hunger of knowledge, of getting to know new experiences, of learning a little bit about everything. I mean, ever since school, I was like on the philosophy uh, AP class, I think is what you guys call it in high school, like advanced programs, right? Okay, so I was in AP chemistry, I was in AP philosophy, and I was in biology as well. And then I quit all my sciences and dedicated myself to like the humanities. Because at least the at least here uh, I wasn't all that smart, so I got really bad grades of both math, chemistry, biology. Even though I was fascinated by it, so I think that was like a little bit of what drove me. Like I've always been interested in that sort of stuff, which I give credit to my dad because he is a chemist. So this I think that was like the little seed that got me into it. And so I was like, hey, so I'm really curious and I love reading about all that sort of stuff, but I'm way too dumb to actually study and develop this field of knowledge. So uh, when I got into my university, I decided to go into a business major because I was between history, journalism and business. And the thing was that, hey, I like money. <laughs> so I decided to get to go into business because I thought it was funny, at least entertaining let's say that way uh journalism is a dead place at least here in chile the job market for it's oversaturated with people that study jur- journalism so at least it's like hey you'll be another one and being a history major it's like what am i going to do with my life just being a professor at a boring old university so i picked what i believe was the most versatile degree that i could get during uh, my college and during those like four to four and a half years of university time that I spent there, I was always fascinated about entrepreneurship. And at the same time, uh, during those years, I discovered a little bit of this, I don't know what to call it, like a movement or a philosophy that is called transhumanism. I don't know if you have heard or read a little bit about that. I know very. Li- I, I know it's a term. I have not done my research on it. Nah, don't worry about it. So let me teach you a little bit about transhumanism. <laughs> Uh, like trying to make a summary of it because it gets pretty wacky. It's a movement that defends the usage of science and technology and especially like 
the the things that we're seeing being developed right now, like uh, synthetic biology, genetic modifications such as CRISPR and all those other tools, and at the same time we get like this component of like the exponential growth of information technology and processing power and the advent of artificial intelligence and all that sort of like really crazy sci-fi stuff that we might get in the next couple of decades. Why not use that technology and that science and all those, those advancements that we're having as a civilization to advance our species beyond our biological limitations. So transcendence through technology and through science. And that shit got me crazily hooked on that. I mean, I've read, uh, I think like about 20 some books uh, related to transhumanism and like the post-human species and all that sort of like really high-minded crazy stuff about we in the next coming decades will be extinguished by our technology like a rogue AI that will kill us all or we might merge with our technology and become cyborgs and relinquish our biological heritage and at the same time explore the cosmos and conquer different planets and colonize and Elon Musk on steroids practically like most of the ideology. So uh, I had this class on college that was about ethics and my professor for my final exam gave like okay so now you got to do like this essay and a final presentation regarding anything that you think that ethics might go into. And even though it was a business uh, school and they were trying to get us thinking like the ethics of doing different sort of businesses or if a mining company goes into like this poor area and social responsibility and all that sort of stuff. Like all my classmates were doing that sort of like ethics presentation. And when it was my turn to present in front of the class and deliver my final essay, I was talking about giving prosthetics to people that lost their limbs in explosions and genetically modifying our children so they don't have diseases and reversing aging until we live beyond 200 years. So I was a little bit odd during my college years. I don't know if there's any hint of that <laughs> so far. No, it's uh, and, that's, that's kind of the mm -hmm. kind of the point. Like, uh, like make it enjoyable for yourself instead of just kind of like going with the cookie cutter. Exactly. And so that was like my first, like delving into like the more I don't know how to call it. Like I, I used to read about science, but like just the headlines of news that have popped up on my social media. But after that, I got really more into reading the research that's been being done and at the same time reading more and more books about that sort of stuff which got me into this online forum which is where i met my two co-founders of my business so whenever it's uh, people ask me like oh so how did your company got started i said oh i met my co-founders online and everyone laughs thinking that i met them that i met them through like an online dating site or anything so I'll go like no it was through a transhumanist online uh how do you call it? Uh, not forum, but message board, which is like the nerdiest thing that you can possibly imagine because it was like a whole bunch of researchers and scientists from like the top leading uh, Chilean universities focused on like heavy handed science and technology and like physicists and biologists and biochemists and chemists and everyone like talking deep, deep philosophical issues. And then this guy comes along like this. 18-year-old, no, 19-year-old, I think it was at the time, a uh, business guy saying like, hey, I'm here. Who wants to do some business about this sort of stuff? I, I want to use science on entrepreneurship and shit. And everyone was like, oh, okay. 
<laughs> so after that, I met with my two co-founders and we hit off pretty well. We started getting really friends and really good friends amongst ourselves. And the thing was that after a while we decided, hey, you guys are scientists. I'm sort of a business guy. So why don't we mesh up our brains and see if we can get something going on? And during those months, I learned so much about like so many different things because I really delved deep into scientific thought, some sort of say. And at the same time, like the mindset that a lot of scientists have is really different from what most of us get on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, their abilities to deal with frustration, their openness to new ideas and to like change your opinion about something. If there is like proof of data that reality works better this way instead of the way that you think, it's something really deep and at least it changed me a lot like getting to know a lot of this uh, about the science community and all the people it it's sort of like impregnated on me a little bit about their philosophy which is really in line with the scientific method i mean if you think about it scientists and science in general it a lot of people say like oh it's so hard and they are not open to new ideas and everything but it's completely the opposite i mean if you're scientifically minded to use like a term Whenever you have your opinions and your views of the world, they are based on hard data, or at least they're based somewhat on data. We all have our biases, of course. But at least for me, it was like a really shift on my perspective on so many issues, because before that, we all live our lives with our biases and with our prejudices about other people that might think different from us, that might view things different from us. And at least both from my education in economy and business and a little bit of everything that I got during college, plus this view from this scientific standpoint on where you can change your perspective of issues on, on different things and of reality as a whole, if there is an actual way and a factual way to prove the other's point of view, it, at least for me, I, I felt like there's a really great value in that because if you see reality through that lens, you're open to, to so much more than if you only view things that, oh, I've been raised this way and this is the correct way because reasons. <laughs> and I mean, to be honest, most of us, we are born into a world full of prejudice and full of biases. And at the same time, it's really hard for you to, I don't know, like grow into perspective or be flexible because at least if you are, for example, working in politics, if you change your point of view, you are a traitor. You are what they call like yellow. I think it was like when people are coward and like that sort of stuff, like they shift from one side to the other. How do you call that? In, do you guys have like an expression for that in, in English? Traitor? I think if, if um, I know there's like, I, I hear, I know what you mean that like in politics, if you, if you, like if you have an opinion and you're like, hey, I believe this and then you change it, like you're, you're, you are like crucified. People do not like that for the most part. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's like a technical term for that other than like, cowardice oh, okay yeah because i at least for us we got like an expression that is like when you change your coat or your jacket and you turn it around so that's why yeah oh so there was something similar yeah that's how we at least in spanish most people are called like when you turn your coat around it's like oh so you change your point of view from what like your party which the guy guided your morals and ethics and now you just shift it because polls were leading you that way.
And so, at least for me, I, I felt like really positive with all this like change of perspective, and it got me like this whole different viewpoint. And so we decided to just survey the area and see like what opportunities we could see. Because of course, uh, like with science and engineering and all that sort of stuff, it's like, oh, we can solve all the world's problems if we have enough time, money, and people. But we all have limited resources to work with. We all have limited knowledge because yeah, sure, I would love to learn everything about everything that there is in existence in the universe, but I cannot. So what we started doing was just like fooling around with the concept of starting uh, a business on science. And at least for us, it was like, okay, so what can we do? And one of the issues that we started playing around with was vertical agriculture, because we saw that that was such a cool thing without any basis of like, technicalities or engineering or science behind it we just thought it was cool and it was like the most grandiose failure we've ever had because we spent i think it was like nine months designing uh how the farm would be and we would have like uh, tilapia and other fishes and we would feed them and the fecal matter of the fishes would be filtered and will give nutrients to the plant and the plant will absorb that and we'll reduce the usage of water and it was like this really crazy idea of like developing and all that sort of stuff but we never actually did the research that is there a need at least here in chile for vertical farms or like is vertical agriculture even viable here in chile and we hit a wall pretty pretty hard and as i told you nine months so it was almost like a baby that we were designing creating putting like buying the dresses, oh, we're gonna name it this, it's gonna be like that, and da, 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 da. And nine months afterwards, like my work, my job, which is like the business guy, so I was in handling the numbers, and uh, so like, okay, so if we did all this, how much would the project cost? And I think it was like $780,000 just to do the small test, which is really freaking expensive. It's not like there's just like $700,000 lying around. And I said, like, okay, and how much will be the output of this if we actually make this? And it was like, if we sold all the vegetables, we will be making $15,000 per year after spending 700000 And it was like, whoop. And that was like a, a, a really good, at least, lesson for us on always when you start a new venture, when you start a new project and everything, don't get like in this honeymoon phase when you discover like this opportunity or this new technology and you want to apply it because sometimes you might not see if there is a sustainable business behind it or if there is like a market opportunity for you to actually capture that and even though like at least for me in business school everyone told me like oh don't fall in love with your ideas you should follow opportunities and all that sort of stuff i was completely oblivious to all of that which i should have known better but to be honest, I was 19 years old, full with hopes and dreams, and thinking that my first company, I will be selling it for like $5 million before I'm 25, and everything will be great, and I'll be a billionaire, and then I'll be funding the exploration of new planets in like the next 15 years. So Elon Musk, as fuck, to what I might add. <laughs> well, um, looking, looking back, is there anything that you can see, like for people who are in that type of like first startup or first business that you could point out to help them like identify if, if they're, if they're again like the honeymoon phase or like processes they can do to ensure that it is viable. I mean, 
at least in the field that I work with in biotech and a lot of like really science heavy fields, the technology itself will take a long while for you to actually test it, but at least see if there is an opportunity or a market behind, a market driven opportunity behind it. For example, we're currently working on a project for lactose intolerance. And at first, I mean, it was a little bit of, oh, yes, my two co-founders, they were like really hyped about this technology that they were developing for uh, a different issue that they were working in. And it was like, hey, we use this, we can maybe develop a solution for this, this and that. And one of my co-founders, he actually suffers from lactose intolerance. And so he said like, oh, man, life is horrible and really shitty if you suffer from this. So a solution for this problem will be amazing and great. And it was like, how do you mean shitty? And it was like, literally shitty. And I was like, why? <laughs> and then he told me like, oh no, because every time I eat or drink any dairy pro uh, product, I get gassy, my, uh, I get stomach aches, uh, might sometimes get cramps, and then they get a horrible case of like explosive diarrhea or vomits. So that was not very nice. But at the same time, it was like, okay, there's this problem. Let's see if there is something interesting behind that problem. And I started doing some research and it was like, oh, it seems that almost 60% of the human population suffers some degree of lactose intolerance. Hmm, that's nice. <laughs> so, I mean, at least if you see like an opportunity that you can say uh, that there is hard data behind it and that there are people that actually want to solve it. Because, of course, if you told me like, hey, 60% of the world population is suffering from lactose intolerance, but only 5% of the world's population actually drinks milk, that's it's still interesting on the scale of things. But at the same time, you got to be able to see the hard data and do the research that the current solutions are bad, that your technology is exponentially better than the one that already exists, and at the same time that there is an opportunity for you to capitalize on this. Because if not, you're not going to have a successful science-based business. You're just going to have a really cool and interesting research paper that might be really cool and, and swell if you're a researcher. But if you want to go into entrepreneurship, if you want to become uh, a science-based entrepreneur, you got to check both sides. You got to have a vision that the technology and the science that you're developing or working with is feasible and that at the same time there's a market opportunity behind it that there is a pain that is affecting people and that your technology can actually be the solution for this condition or from the the pain that people are feeling right now so at least that's like one of the recommendations that i would give like stop wasting your time on problems that no one cares because sometimes it might be something that affects you personally, but no one else. Or sometimes, if you're lucky, problems that affect you personally actually are affecting millions, if not hundreds of millions or thousands of millions, I'm sorry, billions then, <laughs> uh, worldwide. And I mean, always have a, a, like a level-headed vision uh, and have to gain, try to gain perspective whenever you're, you're thinking about new ideas and projects that you want to work with. Because... It's always fun in games, but once you, you start actually working on it and once you start playing around with other people's money, things get complicated. To echo your point on hard data, in my, in my experience, if you, can, if you can quantify what you need, and that's kind of the, the interesting factor of business, is that ultimately everything comes down to like, you know, do you have enough ones in your bank account to, you know, be, to be, you know, making money, essentially. So like... I think people 
when they're thinking about what to start or what to get into, if you just look at the numbers and identify like, okay, if it costs, like you did with your first one, you know, if, if it costs 700000 to get you a small run and you're going to get 15000 that entire year, like that's like, you're going to, you're going to be doing that for like, what, 700 years or something like that to like break even or like to get your money exactly. back out of that. So like, just like making it quantifiable really removes, I found the, the human element of hope to some extent, like mm. the, like that honeymoon phase you mentioned, like if you need, if you know, like, Hey, do the math out. And it's like, you're not really going to get a return on this. You know, it doesn't mean you're, it's a non-starter. It just means you have to maybe do a little bit more research and find a way to make the numbers work. But if they don't work out, then, you know, that's kind of like, we got to try something else. Like the world's, you know, infinite. So there's probably something Mm -hmm. else out there. Like, like your first failure is informs you how to be uh, better in your next venture. Yeah, exactly. And a little bit of what you said uh, on if you see how to break even and if your business model sometimes is not uh, profitable. That's the thing. I mean, a lot of scientific research doesn't have to end up as a business venture or as a product. I mean, a lot, uh, at least from us, we started off really resentful, I think, and really hateful from academia, at least most of the science-based entrepreneurs that I know, because a lot of them come out of academia with this frustration that, oh, all they do is like really basic research that will end up on a, on a, on a published paper, and that will be the end of it. And sometimes like a whole bunch of resources are dedicated to that basic sort of research, but at the same time is on the shoulders of those researchers that most entrepreneurs actually work with. I mean, at least uh, from what we do, we are standing on the shoulders of many, many years of research being done by researchers from all over the world. I mean, uh, if you see like all the references from the people that we've gathered the data for the technology that we've developed, it goes from people that have done research in Japan, people from Chile, people from the US, there are a couple of Swiss guys in the middle. And so I, I believe that exactly, it's completely right that you have to have a clear clear focus on the profitabilities and on the numbers of your project and at the same time you got to know that maybe this idea that you're thinking might not be a business venture but it can be a research for a thesis or a paper that can be like really well received by the academia community or at the same time you might just need to give it like another twist or pivot on your business model because there are a lot of technologies that sold properly can be really profitable. And that's why sometimes I always urge people that are working in the science field, grab yourself a, 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 a bro, grab yourself like a, a friend that comes from a research, uh, sorry, a, a business school, and just grab them, go to a bar, grab a beer or whatever is your fancy drink, and just discuss ideas. Because I believe that there's a huge gap, uh, both here in Chile and in many other countries, between researchers and business people that if they had more instances for exchanging ideas and or not even ideas sometimes i think like the problems that they are facing right now we could be developing so much more of having these conversations and that was one of the things that i learned is that uh, business schools have no idea what's going on in the laboratories and laboratories have no idea what a business school does so there's a lot of um disinformation or misinformation as well 
So after this, I've been a huge uh, defender and preacher of bringing business schools on trips to different research centers and to different research campuses and universities. So far, no one has listened to me, but at least whenever I grab like a couple of friends that just finished college or they have like spare time and everything, I bring them to the lab and people are, they get their eyes so open and that childlike curiosity and fascination with the sciences just like whoa this is so cool and i'll look at all these equipments i've never seen something like that what what are those and that sort of stuff so i i really believe that if we get more researchers into business and more business people into the lab we might get like an explosion of new ideas of new ventures of new technologies that we might be using and that's like a really important issue that we might have to address as a species and at the same time each one of us in our countries in our different ways no definitely i've seen that a lot in the united states as well just in, in my limited experience in the biotech space it's like like you need a you need a little bit like uh i think there's like a really good analogy of like you need like a steve jobs who can kind of like talk up a product and then you need like a like a uh, a Wozniak who can really like make it like if <laughs> if, if you uh, if, if you kind of like segregate the two then you just have a guy who's making stuff but he can't make a living at it and then we can't have like the 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 self computer revolution that we had in the seventies or eighties I, I forget the decade but like there's definitely like that that combat power of like for someone who can make it someone who can like develop these things and then someone who can like find people who have that need and that's like that's I think that what you're talking about exactly talking about the the current thing you're working on um, could you tell us more about biggest challenges that you've gone through and how like any thought process that helped you overcome them uh, yeah I mean at least the pathway that we've had with Novalect has been really fun and interesting I, I, I think it's the proper words to be using <laughs> Um we started off in 2014 as a small biotech startup with no infrastructure, with no support from any university, from no actual lab space to work with, and no funding at all. So why do we even start this, especially here in Chile, which is like uh, a barren wasteland of science-based entrepreneurs, to be honest? I don't know why, and I don't know how we actually manage i mean i know how we manage because i've been there but i believe like a lot of the drive that got us going on the first couple of years was that we were blissfully unaware of the risks that we were uh, having taking and at the same time we were completely ignorant about the difficulties of the next steps following that we were going to have so i think like one of the thought process and recommendations that i give to entrepreneurs getting into this sort of uh, headspace, to be honest, be a little bit ignorant, at least regarding like the risks and the 100%, not, not the needs, but the risk that you're taking. Because if you're 100% aware of the what you're, what, what you're going through and you, if you're 100% aware of how highly likely you are to fail, I think that a lot of people, at least... In, young people or people that have like more skin in their game uh once you get older you have like all these responsibilities and all this like 
you have more knowledge, of course, and you have more skills, no doubt about it. But I, at the same time, I defend like foolish young people launching themselves into these sort of businesses. Because at the same time, if you're fully aware of it, you, you might be fearful and fearful leads to inaction. While if you are unaware of like all the different things that you have to undertake to actually go through all of this, uh, you might just be lucky or dumb enough to actually go on and go and push through all the difficulties that you might have. So at least some of the things that we had was we started off with almost no funding at all. We got a small grant from a government institution here in Chile that is through their program called Startup Chile, which they gave $20,000 to small companies with no uh, equity whatsoever and at the same time with almost no accountability for that money. And with that, we started off like building the laboratory that we needed and we piled our resources alongside three other small startups and we built a laboratory that we worked with. And at least from that on, we started learning a lot more about the risks and the regulations that we have to go through because at least here in Chile, working with a university is almost impossible because they have really restrictive uh, laws or policies regarding intellectual property. So there is almost no, no, no research that goes out of a university actually becomes a product or becomes a company. So if you want to have like a business focused development, you have to be disconnected from universities and not being related to them at all because they'll try to grab uh, anything that they can get their whole and their hands on to claim your IP and your patent on everything that you might go working with. So at least for us, developing our company was like a, a really tough trip to go on. And I believe that a lot of what we did was not groundbreaking, but at the same, but I believe that it was like new to the ecosystem here in Chile. Right now, the, the laboratory that we helped build is actually a co-working space that takes in entrepreneurs from all over the country that they want to develop a new product or new companies based on biotech. And five years ago, that was completely non-existent. Now we get also, there is more funding available for uh, science-based companies. And while we were working, no angel investor even knew what biotech was practically. So, I'm sorry, I got lost. Which was the first question again, Lowell? Sorry. No, no, you're good. I like where you're going with, uh, you know, talking about your journey of, especially, I think it's fascinating that you kind of like teamed up with a number of other startups and, and built like this co-working space that's become something that didn't exist before. I think that's really fascinating. I think um, the the original question was just kind of like some of the, the challenges you've had, but I, I like where you're going with it. Like if you want to continue down this line or, or talk, because I think that just like it's been fascinating so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll go on. Uh, <laughs> and the thing was that once we started building this laboratory and this co-working space, we realized like all the difficulties that are on actually starting this uh, co-working space. So one of my co-founders, he actually shifted, uh, let's say, it, uh, working for our company to working full time for this co-working space. And even for a couple of months, we kind of lost him. And that was really hard because... 
at least when you're in a business venture, they like a lot of experts and like the opinion, everyone says like, oh, it's like a marriage. Oh, it's like you're, you're in a relationship with your co-founders. Oh, you see them like every single day. And at least after a while of listening so much to the saying drab, you tend to think like, oh, yeah, it's like a marriage. Ha, 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 ha. But when it sets in like the emotional connection that you have with your co-founders, it's really hard when like someone leaves for another company. It's like almost like you've broken up with someone. And at least that was like really hard for us because we were working every single day on our own startup inside this co-working space. And on the office right next to me was one of my co-founders working on something completely different. And on the afternoon, he just came back and said like, hey guys, how's it going? And I'm like, good. But on the inside, I was like, just a small solitary tear running down my face. But the good thing was that after a couple of really hard months that all three of us have to put on pause our startup and actually work to build this laboratory. And I'm talking literally building it because we rented a small office in downtown Santiago. And the thing was that the building had permits for like a dental clinic. And we saw that regulatory wise if the building has the permit to have like a dentistry clinic there is a chance that we can work as a biosafety level one laboratory and so we actually had to equip all the office apartment that we were working with the proper floorings the tiles uh, the ceiling the lighting and everything that the regulation was asking us and we never hired like any professional contractors or anything so it was just like us breaking the tiles, putting in the new ones, uh, changing, not electricity-wise, but at least I built a couple of uh, desks and tables that we bought a couple of places. So it was like really DIY, the entire building process. And that was actually really great because at the same time, we started building this community of researchers and young entrepreneurs that came out of universities and they saw what we were doing and what we were posting on social media and it gained a little bit of traction. And ever since then, I mean, there's like always new startups popping up that come from different universities or like uh, startup programs that are getting littered here in Chile. There are like so many like incubators and business accelerators and grants, grants, grants from the government, from companies, uh, uh, like competitions are everywhere. And science-based businesses are starting to flourish. And this is like five years after we started the laboratory. So at least that way, I, I feel like a lot of pride and at the same time, like happiness. I mean, I'm not claiming uh, to be one of the heads behind this co-working space. I mean, I was just like a handyman that lent one of my co-founders so that he could be the chief scientist of that institution. <laughs> But at the same time, it's like really fun when you think about it, like that we were able to have an impact, even though it was sort of indirect on the construction of the entire community of scientists that right now has been working and creating new business ventures. And it might all fail in, other, in another five years, but fuck it. At least we tried. I mean, that has been like one of the key motivating issues behind all the ventures and the startups that I have done is like, I'm really aware of all the privilege that I've had for my education, the, uh, my economic or social status or whatever you might call it. 
And all these experiences that I've had, thanks to being uh, on, on a biotech startup, I've been able to travel to many different countries and meet so many people all around because it, there are so many like contests where you apply and they're like, oh, I have a biotech company. And everyone believes that you're like the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, no, I'm like a really dumb guy that didn't have good grades in university and throughout all my school career. And because I teamed up with like two brilliant scientists, I get their cloud a little bit. So and it's like it, 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 it's stuck on me, but the real brilliant people are the ones behind me. I'm just like a talking head representing my company and representing all the researchers that have worked with us. And so I mean, talking about like all that motivation and everything that drives me is that I've had it so easy on this life compared to like other people that if I could, I can just take like the easy with air quotations here life and just get like a regular job and get like a solid paycheck by the end of the month working at a financial institution or at a bank it's like you know what that's cool and all but at the same time it's like we only get one life and our existence is so finite and fragile i mean why not dedicate the few couple of years that we get living in this world uh, and experiencing this existence into something that might actually add value to the lives of other humans. I mean, at least for me, it's something like I've had all these great uh, opportunities come onto me and almost not fall from the skies onto my face, but at the same time, it's like I believe that I'm not that much of a hard worker. I'm just, I don't know, smart worker? I hate that, that sort of terminology. It's like, oh, I'm not a hard, I work hard, work smart. Ugh, I hate that. But at the same time, I believe that a lot of the effort that I've done is nothing compared to what other people do and the rewards are on a monetary basis, like really basic. And I've had, I'm not claiming that I make any sort of relevant amount of money. Not at all. I've lost money. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like I've had an amazing life. And I just want to use my amazing life to the greatest value that, at least from my perspective, is what I can do. If not, I'm just being another gear in the machinery of existence. And at the same time, it's, it's boring, man. At least for me, it's like, what motivation do you get to wake up and get out of bed if you're just going to do the same thing over and over again? The idea that you're doing things that, I think it's, the analogy is that it's like, it's like tidal in the sense that the tide raises all the ships. So you're, you're working mm. on something that's going to help out other people. And at the same time, you're pushing yourself to do things that, you know, you wouldn't be doing. Like, you know, it's risky. Like, that's the entire thing. Like, but without risk, there's no reward. You know, like, nothing, nothing. I, I, I think life itself, no, no life that currently exists was, like, garnered because there was no risk taken. You know, like... Mm. I think I think most people take low level risks every day and you know driving around like that's a risk but like yeah especially where I'm at like they're crazy but uh, <laughs> but it's just fascinating I I completely agree with you like I'm of the same mind like I it'd be relatively easy for me to just like stop anything I'm doing and get a normal 9 to 5 job but then it's then it's like well what's the point of that like money doesn't motivate me the things I get to do motivates me and like I think that's just utterly fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I'm weird. I'm weird like you. We're 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 the same type of weird. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like it's a, it's a good thing, especially if um you listen to some of the other people that are gonna be on the podcast. Like I, I 
you, you won't feel alone. Like there's like you're, you're definitely not alone. Um, talking a little bit about like jumping back to transhumanism, just kind of like mm-hmm. about, about a little bit. What were because you said you read so many books. What were some of the books that like if someone was listening and like me, you know, like completely ignorant? What were some books that they would be like really helpful in them gaining a greater understanding of what that is? And how that could impact their lives. Like, are there any seminal books that you you, you can think of? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, before you get into this, I have to say, like, a lot of people get the 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 vision that it's really like culty wise, and there's like a lot of Kool Aid being passed around between like transhumanist forums and people that follow this movement. And I totally agree. I mean, if you really think about it, it has that this sort of like. Uh, transcending life-saving quality that a lot of religions have. I mean, no offense towards religion, but at the same time, like if it, it sounds a little bit like a cult when people say like, oh, if you do this, this and that, it's going to be like eternal salvation for you and everyone you love and you're going to live forever happy as a cyborg in this like matrix-like state where you can program your existence to be always happy. And a lot of like people have this desire of like, escaping reality and going into like this fantasy worlds or whatever you might call it like experiences thinking that oh if i follow this sort of belief my life here in this world will be it's like redeeming your misery on the of the current state and forward thinking i think i got way too tangent but okay bring back to books and ted talks and that sort of stuff i mean there is this great book by Ray Kurzweil, who was the current chief of engineering at Google, and it's called The Age of Spiritual Machines and The Age of uh, Thinking Machines, I think it was. I have to double check the names of the books uh, afterwards. <laughs> but at least The Age of Spiritual Machines, I really liked it, even though it's a little bit outdated. It was, I think it was written in 1995. And one is The Age of Spiritual Machines, because at least from my perspective, it gives like uh, a, a wide view about the the future that we might have, but at the same time, it has like this small like scent of mysticality at the same time of um, spirituality, but not being like spiritual in like oh shamans and stuff, but at the same time giving a little bit of like a soft view on like a really hard science topic. Uh, another book that I recommend is from the same guy, which I think is like a more beginner's guide into transhumanism and that sort of stuff, which is uh, The Singularity is Near. And that's a really great book because it goes uh, in a lot of detail about the technological singularity, which is this hypothetical point in technological advancement in which the exponential technologies that we have, science, uh, information technology and that sort of stuff, will reach like a runaway uh, velocity speed of like advancement, boom, 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 boom. It's going to be like so fast and so uh, life-changing that uh, after that we have no way of predicting what will go on afterwards. And one of like the sparks that will ignite this technological singularity is when we actually create the first self-replicating, self-improving actually artificial intelligence on a human level because once we get that ball rolling it's going to create a new version of itself which is going to be smarter and so on and so forth so what happens when you create this intelligence that can improve itself on like a never-ending cycle and it's kind of scary but kind of cool what he proposes 
So that's a, a recommendation that I have. Uh, there's another one called, that's more philosophical, that it's more about consciousness and neurology and the nature of, uh, of human nature that is called I Am a Strange Loop. And I don't remember the name of the author, but it's like a really good read. I never finished it. I think I got like three quarters in and I got like, okay, this is sufficient. I'm not that much into neuroscience and I couldn't understand like a lot of the philosophy that he was going into. But at least for me, it was like a freshen up of like interesting thought processes about what is the origin of human consciousness and how the feedback loops between the perception that we have of the world around us and our understanding of this world through like this loop that, oh, I see a wall and the wall is being perceived by me. And then my concept of what a wall is goes blah, 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 blah. And it goes into this like infinite loop of being self-aware and go so on and so forth. And that's like one of the hypotheses about how consciousness actually works. Uh, another book recommendation, at least one that I enjoyed a lot, that doesn't have a lot to do with transhumanism, but at least has a lot to do with the mindset of exponential technologies, which is The Rational Optimist by Matt Ridley, which is an entire book focused on how the world that we live in is way better than the world that we used to have, and that a lot of the naysaying and the negative view that we might have from the world biased by our media or by the news that we receive or by our perception of how the world works, contrast that with facts about how the world is actually working is, and, and it sort of like gives you the advice of like, base your opinions on hard, solid data and non, uh, not of the perceived uh, interpretation of the data by news media, news outlets. It's not like calling fake news, because the, I think the book was written in, what, 2005 or something like that. So it was before this post-truth world that we actually live in. But at least for me, I, I find it like a kick-ass book. And following on that same uh, route, uh, there's a book by Peter Diamandis called Abundance, which I think he and Ray Kurzweil were the founders of Singularity University, which is a quasi-university think tank sort of cult for-profit event company, I think it's right now, uh, based on Silicon Valley. And this book called Abundance is a little bit the same thing of uh, the rational optimist that is all about uh, the possibilities that technology will unleash for us as a species. And it focuses that we should not be concerned about like, oh, scarce resources such as water or clean air or the weather and that sort of stuff. Not saying that you should disregard them, but that you should not focus on, for example, the drought in California, but that we should focus on the technologies that we are doing for desalinification or uh, extracting uh, drinking water from like the morning mist or like all those different technologies that in the next couple of years will be freeing up the resources almost on an unending cycle that we can actually like have limitless resources that technology will enhance through efficiency or through like new media mediums of production. And it gives like a small hint of how we can develop a post scarcity economy, which is a really fascinating concept when you think about it, that it says mainly like, how the fuck do we build a society or an economy 
that is not based on scarcity, which is like the basis of like every economic theory. It's like, oh yeah, human needs are infinite, uh, but the resources that we use to build all of the things in our physical realm are limited. So what happens if we can, for example, work with nanotechnology that we can reshape the physical world to our whims? So what happens when you don't need to carve up an entire mountain to just get metal and build new iPhones, if we can actually reorder the atoms on, on the molecules and on the physical objects around us, so they become what we want them to be. And that's like really, really crazy shit. Uh, there's another one that is about nanotechnology that is by Eric Drexler, I think it is name was, that is called The Engine's Creation, which is really heavy, but it's a really fascinating book about nanotech. So it gives like so many hypotheticals or potential technologies on applications for nanotechnology. So if anyone wants to get into that sort of stuff, I recommend that book. They have like from synthetic red blood cells that can make people breathe like uh, uh, with one breath. They can be like an hour underwater without any concern because they are so efficient at delivering oxygen to your lungs. Or, for example, if we can have, I think, what they call it, a foglet, which is like a fog of smart uh, nan nanites or like nanobots that can be reshaped in almost any form whatsoever. That's like really cool and crazy. And more like books, I recommend, uh, there are a lot, but at least the ones that I've read is one, it's a book series by a Canadian author called David Simpson. And his book is called, I think, it, the Post-Human Book Series or the Trans-Human Book Series. It's like four books that they are really sci-fi, but at the same time, we give like really interesting concepts that have been based on different researchers. And this author, he grabs like a couple of stuff here and there from different researchers and transforms that into like cool concept that could be potential in the future. And another one that is more like a philosophical manifesto, it's called the Transhumanist Wager, which was written by Zoltan Istvan. And that's on my part, I, I liked the book, at least after the first third, but after I discovered that like the first half of the book is 100% like autobiographical, so it's like the author telling his own, his own life on his main character, and then the main character becomes like the savior of humanity and like of the human race because he is this charismatic, uh, brilliant uh, philosopher that becomes the first post-human cyborg and stuff and it's like really cool the book but when you think about it like oh this is ego stroking as it, at, at its best fun fact this author Zoltan Isvan he ran for uh, president I think on the last election as a third party candidate for the transhumanist party in the US and right now I think he's trying to get elected as a governor in California for the libertarian party so if you're listening Zoltan keep up the good work buddy I interviewed him like a couple of years ago when I used to have a podcast so many long years ago, but uh, I don't know. He's a fun character. Let's just keep it like that. Well, thank you for all those recommendations. Uh, what, are, what? I said, uh, thank you for all those recommendations. I was going to transition to a different question, but I think you had a couple more recommendations. Oh, yeah. There is this, sorry, man. <laughs> there is this great book by Aubrey the Grey which is a researcher on anti-aging from the University of 
Cambridge, and I think his book was called The End of Aging, uh, and it was like this really interesting, uh, no, Ending Aging, I think it was called, or yeah, The End of Aging, Ending Aging, something like that, and it, it, its entire book is about different technologies for uh, reversing uh, the the aging process, but at the same time, it's really fascinating because a lot of people, or at least most of us, when we see aging, we see it as a process that happens. I mean, it's just it just is. I mean, you just get old because that's how life works. That's how any, everything works. But uh, what he proposes is that aging is not just like one bulk thing that just happens alongside life, but it's the accumulation of a whole bunch of different like small things that start malfunctioning in your body. And the thing was is that he proposes that we can actually fix most of this like small stuff that starts piling up one on top of the other. And he proposes what he calls senescence, I think it is, that is like this or anti-senescence, which is the technology to reverse an, uh, aging the aging process in biological systems. And I think the latest update that I read, I think it was like in 20 like they were able to have like a mice that lives if we took that what he lives longer into humans is like a mice that lives to 200 years or something like that and it was like really fascinating because he proposes what he calls the the terminal velocity of aging that says that there's probably people that are 20 year olds right now that they might be the first generation to never age because if this technology keeps funded and developed by the time those 20-year-olds right now, the Z generations, famous uh, right now, get to when they reach 60-year-olds, there's going to be a technology that will make them live five years with a good quality of life. And then after those five years, the same technology will have improved. And it's not going to be five, it's going to be seven. And after those seven, it's going to be 15. And after those 15 years, it's going to be 100 years and so on and so forth. So there's always going to be like, this improvement in the research and the technologies for anti-aging that people will just never die unless they actually decide to. So it's really fascinating and crazy when you think about it. It's like, holy shit, how are you going to deal with that? Yeah, it'd be weird because uh, to some, there's a, a great sci-fi series called uh, The Commonwealth by Peter Hamilton, I think his name. And it's, mm -hmm. it's like this idea where people can keep living forever. And, like, how, how does that affect the economy when you're still growing? And it's basically, like, people work for a couple of lifetimes and then retire and do what they actually care about. But it's, it's, it's uh... Huh. Yeah, it's it's, actually, it's pretty interesting. It gets it gets kind of loopy, but then it goes back to being normal. Like, like it gets kind of, like, far out there in, like, the middle <laughs> of the series. But then, it, like, it, it goes back into, like, okay, this is normal science. But uh, uh, turning to a, a different question, when it comes to, like, the business side mm -hmm. of things... Do you are there what what resources do you tend to use to like manage and like handle workflow or or just tend to use in general to like keep your business acumen like at top notch and to run like a business in general? Uh, okay, so uh, at least on like a more micromanagement uh, toolkit, uh, I love Slack, which is this great tool, and it gets like promoted on so many podcasts as an advertiser. <laughs> And it's like a like a web chat for teams where you can just like have different channels of conversation. And the good thing, an app store inside the the program 
that lets you download so many add-ons and we found a couple that actually turn this like uh, web communication uh, like team communications platform into a task management one so we can actually link that with our calendars and assign the tasks with deadlines for all of the different team members and at the same time if you were the one that gave a certain task, you get a reminder or, or, oh, such and such has to finish this by this date. Or, hey, you just put yourself all those tasks and you get like daily reminders and all that sort of stuff. So at least on like the toolkit is like one of the key tools that I use is Slack for with my team and also for uh, project management and tasks. Another one that I use, at least on a personal basis, for a to-do list, a lot of people use Evernote and a whole bunch of like similar stuff, but I, I am a really, really geek guy, and I love some RPGs and games. So I found that there is this tool that is called Habitat, that it's a to-do list with, you can set it up like, daily habits or weekly to do and all that sort of stuff but the cool thing is that after you complete like for example one of my habits is to floss and to work out so whenever i get like a positive that i i, I did that on a daily basis i just check that and it gives to a character that i have uh, experience gold and hp on depending on if i go, if i do well and if i do bad and with that it, it gamifies a little bit of the day-to-day -day tasks that i have so at least that way I can keep myself motivated of like, oh, I gotta, if I do uh, the dishes and at the same time I floss by the end of the day, I win 20 XP and I might reach the next level. So at least that way I get a little bit more of engagement with my avatar. And I really like gamification for a lot of like the maniacal and like day-to-day -day tasks. So I use those two for like to-do list, task creating and management. And more of like business acumen, at least on, on my part, a lot of what I do is that I stay hungry <laughs> to do that. So I tend to read one book per month. If I can, I try to be a little bit faster. And so what I do is that I'm subscribed to many different podcasts on economy, on business, on science. And so what I do is that whenever I, uh, I do my commute every morning, I tend to be reading in the mornings and be listening to podcasts on the afternoon. So at least that way I can get like a cycle going on and a routine at the same time. And I don't know. I mean, what else do I do? I mean, I always recommend people getting into uh, businesses or entrepreneurship that ha don't have like the business background and might want to learn more about for example, uh, what an investor might ask or what are like the key basics of uh, developing a business on that sort of stuff. Uh, I recommend a lot uh, using or reading at least the book of The Lean Startup, which gives a lot of like the basic groundworks of doing like a, a, a business venture, at least a startup from my perspective. It gives you like the, the concept of what a business canvas is or uh, how do you develop like financial projections? How do you make a cash flow statement? All that sort of stuff that if you don't come from like a business background, it might be like a whole new language. So I recommend that. And at the same time for like more financial stuff, uh, Investopedia, it's sort of like a wiki 
for investment and people working on finance is a really good resource so that uh, I recommend for people. For example, a friend of mine, he's an engineer and he has a company working on developing new technologies to measure, for example, uh, blood sugar levels using saliva. And he had to make a, a whole presentation for a, a potential investor. And they were asking him like, oh, I want to see your financial statements. I want to have a cash flow. I want to see when you're going to be breaking even and all that sort of stuff. And he was completely unaware of how to make any sort of stuff like that. And I showed him like, hey, there's this cool website called Investopedia. And he was like, oh, so how do I calculate my, my the return of interest? Or how do I do the weighted average cost of capital for my finances? And I'm like, here you go, buddy. And it's like an amazing resource for people that have to be dealing with that, like young CEOs for bulging startups that have no knowledge on finance. At least for me, it, it's a must. If you're going to start your own company, you've got to speak the language that your investor is going to speak because they don't understand the science. And you're just going to be like, hey, I'm solving X with Y. Okay, I get it. And then they're going to ask like 57 different questions regarding your financials. And that's when a lot of startups, they, they fail because they don't know how to answer that sort of question and they know how to uh, traverse themselves through the jungles of business data. So if you had to train someone to be good at doing that type of thing, you would you definitely recommend them you know, picking up the Lean Startup, Investopedia, and... Is there any way for them, like a, like a person wanting to be a good CEO, like you recommended? Is there anything? Is there any way that you would like train someone to be good at that, at handling the financials, handling the invest, handling the investments, and doing like the day-to-day -day business stuff that you think would be helpful for people to know? It really depends on the nature of your business because a lot of like the basic business stuff. Yeah, you gotta learn a, a little bit about accounting. You got to learn a little bit about marketing. You got to learn a little bit about finance. You got to learn a little bit of management. You got to learn a little bit about everything. So I believe that a lot of the responsibilities of a CEO in a small startup is that you have to put on so many different hats because it's a small team. You, you don't have the money to actually hire a CFO. You don't have the money to hire a, a, a marketing expert. So I believe that a lot of the tools that you learn throughout this process comes one, by being open about a little bit of everything. So unless you're like a really high stakes presentation, don't be the first one to say like, hey, I know nothing about finance. At the same time, be open with other entrepreneurs because a lot of people that have gone on, on or that have different backgrounds, uh, they might give you like really wise and good advices. One is surround yourself by a lot of different entrepreneurs from different backgrounds. Even though you might have to be like, due to the constraints of infrastructure, you may be surrounded by people that come from the same industry as you. But if it's a possibility, please surround yourself with different people. With people, not different people like, oh, I work on a business venture and uh, right next to me I get like this lady selling churros. No, I mean like getting different entrepreneurs from different industries on the same hub, it's always positive. Because at least on that side, you can ask the, the guy in front of you, hey, how do you solve this problem? Or someone will ask you, like, hey, how do you do that? And uh, at least the exchange of ideas on a really highly concentrated hub or office that you share with other people is, at least in my perspective, like one of the best places to learn because there is an, an infinite plethora of books that you can get. 
And there's so many universities that offer free courses online. You can get into EDX. You can get into the MIT X, I think it's called. Harvard has all the many stuff. You can just Google on, you can just search on YouTube, say like how to do, and just replace that with every single thing that you might imagine, and there's going to be something. But once you get the basics going from like, the, uh, maybe you get some knowledge in college, or you might get some stuff on books, such as the one that I recommended, but the actual experience of having someone that has lived through that, or that is living the same challenges as you are, is, at least in my opinion, invaluable. And at the same time, I recommend a lot and get mentors as fast as possible. Search for the people that are working on the same industry as you are, but that already has a couple of gray hairs here and there, which means that they've had a lot of miles already on their feet. And you can learn so much by sharing experiences and sharing your own concerns, sharing your own worries, sharing your own uh, insecurities with people that you trust is one of the key issues because, and that's one, of, now that I think about it, and I said that word, I said trust. Holy fucking shit. That's like the most important thing in business, at least in my experience and what we have done in the past four years. Getting people to trust you is one of the key resources that a lot of people tend to oversee because no one's going to put money and no one's going to invest in a company that they don't trust. And no one's going to handing over resources or helping someone out if they don't trust you. And a lot of business people and a lot of uh, like the culture behind business is to be sneaky. Don't tell the guy next to you your idea because he might steal from you or he might do the same thing and try to copycat what you're doing. I mean, of course, don't go around saying like, oh, yes, my technology is this, this and that. And we're going to do this and this because if you give out your like your secret sauce, it's all ruined. But if you're not willing to share your, uh, not willing to, sh uh, not share, but at the same time open up to other people, uh, the, reci the reciprocity of trust that you give and people give back to you is never going to happen. I and mean, if no one trusts you, then why are you even doing this? Because you're just disconnecting yourself from any sort of human interactions and human touch that the business might have. Yeah, definitely. Whenever someone looks at an, a new product, they're they're basically asking themselves, "Do I trust this person to make something that won't like harm me <laughs> too much?" <laughs> Especially in the biotech healthcare things, like you know, um, when I look at a, a doctor, like I'm asking, like, "Can I trust this person?" And if I if I don't, I'll just I literally just walk out, go find a different doctor. Like I just won't I won't tolerate it. Especially like mm -hmm. especially in that like extreme of it. But you do like people do that every day. You know, like you know, even as basic as do I want us you know this cereal brand or a different cereal brand like which one that like, really just comes down to trust like everything's kind of like that's that's why i always think it's interesting when people deny you like when people say no this is policy no one can help you or like nothing you know whatever you ask for and they're like no we can't help you this is policy like i always think it's funny when people like cite that to me because i know at the end of the day it comes down to a person checking yes mm. or no in a box you know it, whether mentally or on some form somewhere to make something happen for you so, like, I don't know why that's kind of like a digression, but I always think it's interesting when people, like, state that. Because it's never it's never the case. Like, there's never, like, like everyday decisions, everything that goes on, like, ultimately it comes down to another person saying, like, yeah, okay, I believe you. I'm going to say yes. Or I don't believe you. I'm going to say no. To kind of, like, echo your point and, like, go off of it a little bit. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't know, at least telling a little bit about our experience, if 
at least one of the biggest hurdles that we were able to overcome throughout our years was getting funding from an angel investor here in Chile is really hard. And getting funding from an investor in a biotech venture is even harder. And that was something that we were able to do last year, in 2017. It was because of this trust. Uh, uh, I mean, not distrust, of this trust <laughs> that I, I was able to build with our investor. And it was like really hard, at least. I mean, we spent, I think it was like three years looking for an investor in Chile, three years. And we were hitting walls left and right and no one was uh, interested in biotech. Nobody was willing to invest in biotech. And up until we actually met with our investor by chance. I mean, I met him in a trip that we had uh, in Boston. The, there was this uh, committee from the American Chamber of Commerce that actually gathered five different biotech companies from Chile and sent them to Boston to pitch in front of American investors. And they were hyping us like hell, saying like, oh, guys, you are the future of the bioeconomy in Chile. And this event is going to be such a great opportunity for you guys. And you're going to be able to uh, raise money from American investors or in foreign investment. And it's going to be a great opportunity for you, blah, 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 blah. The thing was that after three days and over nine presentations in front of different venture funds, uh, family offices and, and investment uh, firms, we got nothing. None of the companies that actually went there from this uh, chamber of commerce actually got anything at all. And uh, once we got back, there was this uh, guy that was traveling with us. And it was just like this old guy, not old, but like 40-year-old guy just by chance and asking like, hey, what do you do? What's your startup about? And he told me like, oh no, I'm not a startup. I'm just like uh, a financial analyst for like this small firm. And we gave support for different companies. And after a while, I hit it off with him. We went out for a couple of beers. We started developing like this small friendship that, was, we, we, uh, that we had over there. And once we came back to Chile, I hang out with him a couple of more times and I asked him like, hey, so you work in finance, can you help me out? Because I want to present in front of a crowdfunding platform and we're really, really desperate for money. And he told me like, yeah, sure, come to my office. And I went to his office and when I met him, I realized like, oh, this is a really fancy place. And he told me like, yeah, yeah, please give me your presentation. And so I told him like, oh, we want to raise this amount of money and we want to go to this company. And he told me like, hmm, that rings a bell. Where are they located? And so we're like, oh, this startup company is on this building and everything's like, oh, yeah, we own that building. And I was like, what the fuck? And he told me like, no, yeah, we own that building and a lot of different other uh, companies that our family has a hand in. And then I realized like he was the chief financial officer for this family office and investment firm in Chile. <laughs> And they were like the owners of, I think it was like two different wine yards and they had like uh, a, a small mining company. And at the same time, they had like a couple of operations in salmon industry in the south of Chile. And now they're starting to invest in biotech. And we were their first investment. And it was like all out of the trust that you build with people that sometimes might be just like a small conversation over a couple of beers. But that's the first seed that you plant and you gotta be like always concerned about the relations that you're building, the trust that you're building with other people, with other entrepreneurs, 
with people that might become a mentor or people that might be a future investor in your company. So I tend to defend a lot or at least like in, motivate people to develop that soft side of business of getting to know people and getting to know them well. I mean, like on a more deep basis, because a lot of people, uh, at least a lot of investors, whenever they, they have their money and they have to put it someplace, if you're not someone that they trust, if you're not someone that actually exudes that sort of like confidence and is able to make a connection with the people in front of you, no one's going to give you money. Which makes sense, you know, like why? You know, if you exactly. didn't, if you if you if you didn't trust the banks, you wouldn't put your money in there. That's that's why we in in the states we have uh, the FDIC guarantee, like up to like a couple hundred grand, where like your your money's basically backed by the government, saying like this your your money's safe here. Like, don't worry. Once you see the sticker, like to like calm down. So what I'm saying is like it definitely makes sense like that people would go with the people that they trust especially when you've taken the time to develop that relationship because, you know, you're a known entity. Like, a thousand people go through the doors making pitches, but, you know, then they can only really make decisions based on the numbers, and you're kind of fighting for who has the best numbers. But when it comes to developing a human relationship, like, you're the, you're the only Leo with this business pr uh, presentation versus this is one of, you know, dozens of business, uh, business presentations, and you are a Leo... You know, like, it's different, like, the emphasis, I think, really helps. Tra uh, transition a little bit, because I think you give it Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, leave a review, check out our website, learningwithlowell.com, or join my mailing list. I'm here to learn and share what I learn. New episodes every Tuesday, new emails every Monday, and I blog on topics that I find fascinating.